We'll open up to Jude this evening. Jude 17 through 22. Verse 17 through 22. Before we read it together, let's ask God's blessing on our study of His Word tonight. Father in heaven, we do ask for your help as we come now to your word. We pray that you would grant us grace to understand your word aright, uh, to believe uh, these things that you have written, and to apply them to our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was going to start preaching. I've got to read the text. This is what we read beginning at Jude verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. As far as the reading of God's word. People of God, how, how does one contend for the faith this, of course, is what Jude is calling us to do in this letter. We might say this is the most fundamental and basic application of Jude's letter. He tells us that in verse 3. Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. That's what Jude is calling us to do in this letter, to contend for the faith. But perhaps you've noticed that since Jude has told us to contend for the faith, he's not told us how to contend for the faith. He's simply told us why we must contend for the faith and who we're contending for the faith against. That's what we see in verses 4 through 16. All right, so in verse 3, Jude says, contend for the faith. In verses 4 through 16, he tells us why we must contend for the faith and against whom we must contend for the faith. But he says nothing in those verses about how to contend for the faith. That is, however, what he picks up and returns to beginning at verse 17. And in the verses that we just read together tonight, Jude sets before us a game plan for contending for the faith. And what that game plan is, is this. Four R's, all right? Remember what the apostle said. Recognize who the problem is. Remain in the love of God. And reach out to those in error. Okay, that's the game plan Jude gives us for contending for the faith. Remember what the apostles said, recognize who the problem is, remain in the love of God, and reach out 
to those in error. Let's look at the first part of that. Remember what the apostles said. We see this in verses 17 and 18. There Jude writes, but you must remember, beloved. Okay, this this is the first command Jude has given us in this letter. Thus far, he's not told us to do anything. He simply laid out the facts. This is the first command. You must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. What Jude is saying here to us is this. He's saying, listen, people of God, when you see people in the church who disregard God's word, when you see people in the church who who are using the grace of God as a license for sexual immorality, as they were in Jude's day, remember that this is the sort of thing the apostles said was going to happen. All right, the apostles said, in the last time, there will be scoffers. 2 Peter 3.3 is one place the apostles have said that. What is a scoffer? Well, a scoffer is someone who makes fun of something, and in this case, then, a scoffer is someone who makes fun of God's truth. A scoffer is someone who who makes fun of the faith, once for all delivered to the saints. What does a scoffer look like in our day? Well, well, a scoffer might be somebody who says, "You you don't really believe the Bible is inerrant, do you? Or you don't really believe... God created the world in six 24-hour days, do you? Or, or sometimes the scoffing is a little more subtle, right? They might, they might say something like, did God really say that marriage was between one man and one woman? That's a scoffer. A scoffer is someone who makes fun of and takes jabs at God's truth, who, who turns up his or her nose at God's truth. Now, why should those called to contend for the faith remember that the apostles told us these people would be present in the last days? Well, most simply because the very existence of these people in the church kind of validates, doesn't it, the faith we're called to contend for. I mean, the existence of these people in the church proves to some degree the trustworthiness of Scripture. Scripture said in the last days there will be scoffers. 2,000 years later, we look around and we see, guess what? They're scoffers. It's almost like this is true. Right? When we remember what the apostles said, that in the last days there will be scoffers, and we look around and see scoffers, I don't know about you, but that actually kind of fires me up to be a little prickly to some of these scoffers, to contend for the faith with a little more courage than I might have otherwise. The scoffers are proving the veracity of the faith once for all delivered to the saints, aren't they? Remember what the apostle said. These people that get under your skin, these people that drive you crazy, these people that are baptizing 
The children of a lesbian couple, which happened a month ago in Eastern Avenue Christian Reformed Church. The apostles said they'd be here. <laughs> All right. That's encouraging to us as people who believe the Bible. It's proving itself to be true. So remember what the apostles said, because I think you'll find encouragement in remembering what the apostles said. Second, recognize, recognize who the problem is. We see this in verse 19. Jude writes, it is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the spirit. Almost, uh, almost three years ago now, uh, 43 churches left the Reformed Church in America to form what is now called the ARC, the Alliance of Reformed Churches. And actually, a number of the churches leading that charge were churches from the greater, the greater Zealand area. Anyway, the reason these 43 churches left the RCA to form their own denomination is because the RCA refused to take a firm stand on the matter of marriage and sexuality. And that refusal to take a firm stand on this matter made the RCA a denomination which all but affirms same-sex marriage and activity. These 43 churches said we cannot remain in a denomination which refuses to call sin, sin. And so they left, they formed their own new denomination. Since then, in the past three years, a number of other churches have left the Reformed Church of America and joined them in the ARC. Anyway, shortly after, this is almost three years ago, shortly after those original 43 departed to form this new denomination, the Religion News Service published an article about this new denomination, the Alliance of Reformed Churches, in which the Religion News Service simply explained who the Alliance of Reformed Churches was and why they've come into existence. Well, like almost any article published online these days, there was a space beneath it for comments. If you want to make yourself dumber real fast, read the comments under any given article online, all right? But there was a space for comments underneath this article. And in these comments, I'll never forget this, repeatedly, these 43 churches and their pastors and their elders were labeled as schismatic, were labeled as divisive, for splitting the RCA as they had done. And of course, the point is clear, right? In the minds of those people who wrote those comments, those, those 43 churches and their pastors and their consistories were the problem in the Reformed Church of America. They are the ones who divided Christ's church. Here's the thing we must understand. Those 43 churches that left three years ago and the ones that have since joined them out of the RCA were not the ones who departed from Scripture on the matter of marriage and sexuality. It's the ones who, who stayed behind, who deviated. And as Jude makes clear here, it is the ones who deviate. It is the ones who turn their back on God's word, who cause 
the division. And so as you contend for the faith, recognize who the problem is. Because often it is those who contend for the faith who are accused of being the problem. Often it's those who contend for the faith who stand firmly upon the word of God who are accused of being divisive. My friends at the Abide Project, Reverend Hemstreet in Coopersville and Reverend Steenweich, you wouldn't believe the names those guys have been called. You wouldn't believe the accusations thrown at them, right? They're divisive. Why? Because they want us to keep holding firm to the historic Christian faith. Recognize who the problem is. It's scoffers who are the problem. It's worldly people devoid of the spirit and who mock God's truth who are the problem. We can form a new denomination, but it's them who cause the divisions. Right? Recognize who the problem is. Third, third part of the game plan. Remain in the love of God. Remain in the love of God. We see this in verses 21 and 22. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Now, this, this, these two verses, they're kind of like the Great Commission, if you ever heard that explained, and maybe that'll make no sense to you. But, but in these verses, we see, we see one central command, okay? One main command, and this one main command is surrounded by three participles which modify the command and which tell us how to live out the command. The same thing happens in the Great Commission, which is why I compared it to that, but maybe I just confused you by doing that. Anyway, we have, we have one main command here. What is the main command in verses 21 and 22? The main command is keep yourselves in the love of God, okay? That's the main instruction, in verses 21 and 22. Now, I do want to just notice for a second that at the very beginning of this letter, Jude tells us what? He tells us that God keeps us in his love. At the very end of this letter, Jude tells us that God keeps us from stumbling, right? So this letter begins and ends essentially by telling us that, that God keeps us. But here in the body of the letter, Jude says we must keep ourselves in God's love, Okay, that's clearly our job. That's something we must do. But note well, the Christian ever and always lives in light of these, these two realities, right? That God keeps us in his love, and we must keep ourselves in his love. These two things are ever and always true for us. I'm to keep myself, I'm to keep myself in God's love, and God is keeping me in God's love, in his love. All right? Anyway, the main instruction, keep yourself in the love of God. This main instruction is surrounded by three participles which tell us how to live out this instruction and keep ourselves in the love of God. The first way is by building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Jude is saying you keep yourself in the love of God by, by doing things that help strengthen and fortify your faith. You keep yourself in the love of God by doing things that help you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Things like joining a local church and being active in the life and ministry of that church. 
Things like being present in worship on Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings. Things like spending time daily in God's word and prayer. Things like listening to good, solid Christian music or podcasts, right? All of those are ways we we build ourselves up in our most holy faith. And Jude here is saying, this, this is one of the ways you keep yourselves in God's love. Secondly, Jude says, we keep ourselves in God's love by praying in the Holy Spirit. I don't think I have to tell you, prayer is so incredibly important in the Christian life, just like our earthly relationships break down when there is a lack of communication, so can we expect our relationship with God to break down when there's a lack of communication. So we keep ourselves in God's love by praying in the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're asking, what does it mean to pray in the Holy Spirit? I, I guess I don't think that's something you should think too terribly hard about. Uh, Romans 8.15 says that, that we have received the spirit of adoption as sons, and by that spirit we cry, Abba, Father. By that spirit we, we know God as Father and call God Father. And, and so it seems to me that whenever we come to God, recognizing that in and through Christ, he is our, he is our all-sufficient Father, and we are his needy and dependent children, whenever we come to him that way, we are praying in the Spirit. Third, Jude says we keep ourselves in God's love by waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Simply put, we remain in the love of God as we, as we hope in what's to come. We remain in the love of God as we remember daily that here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come, right? It's, it's hope that enables us to hold fast to Christ in the midst of suffering and hardship and difficulty. It's hope which keeps us in the love of God. So we, we contend for the faith by keeping ourselves in the love of God. We keep ourselves in the love of God, Jude says, by building one another up in our most holy faith, by praying in the Holy Spirit, and by waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So remember what the apostle said. Recognize who the problem is. Remain in the love of God. And then finally Jude, Jude puts us on the offensive. He says, reach out to those in error. Reach out to those in error. We see this in verses 22 and 23. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Do you see what we're being told here? We're being told that these certain people who've crept into the church and who've exchanged the grace of God for a license for immorality, they're, they're, they're not only dangerous, they're not only people we need to watch out for, they're also a mission field. These people whom we're to contend against are also people whom we're to witness to. That's what we're being told here. Even these people who've crept into the church unnoticed, who's, who've exchanged the grace of God for a license for morality, even these people are not beyond the mercy of God in Christ. No way, no how. 
Now, how are, we, how are we to reach out? Well, according to Jude, it kind of depends of, on who we're dealing with. He, he really sets before us here three different groups of people that we might have to reach out to. The first group are those who doubt. He says there are some, there are, there are some who doubt. Have mercy on those who doubt, he says. That's, that's the first group of people he speaks about. Doubters are not full-blown heretics. Doubters are not people who've sold their soul to the devil. Doubters are just people who've heard a lot of things and are maybe a bit confused about God's truth. An example that comes to my mind is those who are confused by the the concept of love. God calls us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Many in the church hear that, though, and they they kind of interpret it in light of the world's definition of love, that it's just sort of a blind acceptance of everyone and everything. And so you'll talk with them about someone who is living a, a, an unrepentant, sinful lifestyle, and inevitably one of these people will respond, yeah, but we just got to love them. You've heard that. I've heard that many times. Well, yes, we do just have to love them. But often there's confusion around what Christian love entails, right? 1 Corinthians 13 says what? Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. And so we understand as Christians, don't we, that loving someone in a certain instance doesn't always look exactly like the world thinks it does. But with people like this who are simply confused, I don't think we need to do anything outrageous. We simply need to help them see what God's word says. Point them to what God's word says and let the word do the work. There are another group of people whom we have to reach out to. They are those who need to be snatched from the fire. These are people who who, who are walking down the wrong road. These are people who are living their lives in such a way that the fire of hell is already singeing the hair on their arms. And with these people, we might have to be a bit more forceful and confrontational. The example that comes to my mind here is is that of Nathan confronting David in 2 Samuel 7, or 2 Samuel 12, excuse me. David had committed his great sins of adultery and murder, and he went on for some time, anything a year or more, he went on in unrepentance. Nathan came to him. Nathan told him a parable about a, about a rich man who stole his poor neighbor's only lamb in order that he might feed it to one of his guests. And David is outraged. And David said, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. Do you remember what Nathan did? He put his finger out and he said to David, you, you are the man. It was harsh. It was firm. But Nathan snatched David's soul from the fire that day. Sometimes, sometimes we have to go and reach out like that. The third group of people in error are those whom Jude says we must approach with fear. To others show mercy with fear, he says. Who are these people that we'd have to, have to approach with fear? Well, well, these aren't simply those who are confused, nor are they simply those walking down the wrong road. No, these are people who are convinced that their way is right. So convinced that they're willing to teach others 
to do the same things they are doing. These are men like Korah, who in the days of Moses rallied the support of 250 other Israelites to rebel against Moses. Why must we approach people like this with fear? Well, it's because they have a knack for leading others astray. And if we're not careful, people like this could even lead us astray. In fact, one could argue that people like this should really only be confronted by pastors and elders and seasoned Christians who understand what's really at stake. The rest of us may be wise when it comes to these people to heed Paul's counsel to Timothy and just to have nothing to do with them. These people are very, very dangerous. Now, I don't think I have to tell you this, but this, this part is the most difficult aspect of contending for the faith. To contend for the faith, as Scripture calls us to, we must eventually go to those who are in error and have mercy on them by pointing them to God's truth and calling them to repent and trust in Christ. Let me ask, is there someone in your life who is confused about God's truth? Is there someone in your life who needs to be snatched from the fire? Is there someone in your life who is so convinced of their way they're leading even other people astray? A child, maybe? A coworker? A member of your church, I hope not. A member of another church, perhaps. People of God, Jude calls us to contend for the faith. And he's told us how to do that by remembering what the apostle said, by recognizing who the problem is, by remaining in the love of God, by reaching out to those in error. And in regard to that very last point, do not forget, that's exactly what God has done for us in Christ. He reached out to us when we were in error by sending his one and only son to die a sin-cursed death on the cross so that our sins might be forgiven. And then by sending his Holy Spirit into our hearts to confront us in our sin and to turn our hearts to his son through faith. Right? Our God has done the same thing for us. He reached out to us when we are in error. And when he calls us to contend for the faith, he tells us to do the same. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the instructions, the comfort, and the challenge that you give us in your word tonight. Father, we want to be people who not only hear your word, but do it as well. Give us wisdom and grace to contend for the faith. For Jesus' sake, amen.